Al Jazeera podcast. European leaders meet in Spain with Ukraine's hopes for EU membership in sharp focus. The EU president wants it to happen, but some within the bloc are privately less enthusiastic. So, can it become a reality? And what are the difficulties? I'm Mohamed Jamjoum, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. All right, let's go ahead and bring in our guests. In Berlin is Olena Prokopenko, co-chair of the Transatlantic Task Force for Ukraine, fellow at the German Marshall Fund and former Ukrainian finance ministry advisor. In Brussels is Peter Kleppe, editor of Brussels Report EU, an online news magazine. And in Rome is Daniela Herrera, professor at the Center for High Defense Studies, part of the Italian Ministry of Defense. She's also former president of the European Peace Research Association. A warm welcome to you all. And thanks so much for joining us today on Inside Story. Daniela, let me start with you today. If a decision is made to open formal negotiations for Ukraine to join the EU, how politically fraught will that process be? Well, the, this process will be definitely uh, very relevant for political implications. Obviously, uh, there is uh, a procedural consideration to be made uh, because it's not so easy for a country, any country, uh, to uh, be part of the European Union. So there are a, a bunch of uh, formal procedures to be taken into account. At the same time, uh, there are also political considerations because the EU has always tried to um, expand uh, uh, its borders for strengthening security uh, and uh, for uh, building uh, um, a list of uh, peaceful neighbors. Uh, so for sure, it will be uh, a very complicated process, uh, which will require uh, a big consensus. And this is among member states, obviously, and this is probably the most uh, problematic thing. Olena, Ukraine got EU candidate status in 2022. That's a process that has taken a lot longer for other countries on the waiting list. Ukraine essentially jumped the queue. I want to ask you first if that is fair. And I also want to ask you, from your vantage point, could we see a shorter timeline for Ukrainian membership in the EU? Uh, right. Ukraine's EU accession process is obviously very complex political and technical undertaking, but it doesn't have to be a lengthy one. Uh, as you rightly mentioned, Ukraine received a fast-track EU candidacy status, and it was also uh, seen by many as a goal that would take years to achieve, yet Ukraine received uh, this status just months after it uh, um, submitted its formal application. And though uh, although uh, EU membership, uh, full accession, is a much more uh, complex um, and ambitious uh, undertaking, uh, Ukraine have been, has been paying the highest price for the European values, for freedom and for democracy. It has been proving again and again since the Revolution of Dignity of 2014 that it is ready to fight and ready to die for these values. Moreover, speaking about the merit-based approach to EU uh, Canada's status for Ukraine and about the fairness that you referred to, uh, it is fair because Ukraine has been making very significant progress on the reform track. It has been uh, complying with seven 
conditionalities of the European Commission that have been put forward uh, and tied to Ukraine's further EU integration. Mm. Uh, moreover, uh, last month, Ukraine passed another uh, package of legislation to bring it closer to the EU, and it does need a fast-track procedure. But most importantly, it's, uh, it's the political will that needs to be there, and um, the obstacles to Ukraine's membership in the EU are largely political, and the countries behind them, particularly Hungary and, and Slovakia, no longer comply with European values. They do not belong to the European family and shouldn't have a say in this process. So I would say that it's up to our democratic allies in the European Union to put pressure on these member states and to, to have them cease blocking Ukraine's uh, full integration in the EU. Uh, obviously, Elena, it is very controversial still, and I do want to ask you more about the package of legislation that was passed in Ukraine. Uh, but first, I want to go to Peter. Uh, Peter, even if formal negotiations for Ukraine to join the EU were to begin later this year, uh, this is not a short process. I mean, you heard Elena talk about the political obstacles that lay ahead when it comes to joining the EU. How difficult could all of this become? And, and from your vantage point, do you think it could become a reality? Oh, I think indeed at this point it's still very unrealistic. Um, only uh, today uh, we had the former uh, Commission President uh, Jean-Claude Juncker uh, coming out and uh, saying that um, Ukraine is, uh, is very corrupt, according to him. And this is something that is, of course, confirmed by international um, rankings. Uh, but he also said that uh, we should not give our friends, uh, and he considers Ukraine to be a friend, rightly so, uh, we, we should not give our friends false hope. Uh, so, um, you know, behind the scenes, diplomats say that um, the West is trying to sort of square the circle. They want to give uh, Ukraine hope. They want to send material positive signals. But at the same time, uh, the reform process in Ukraine uh, still will take a lot of time. Daniela, um, would this potential membership of Ukraine really have been given this much consideration were it not for the Russian invasion of Ukraine? Is that the political reality behind all of this right now? Uh, it can be a political reality, but at the same time, it's extremely difficult uh, because, as Peter was saying before, there is a lot of political consideration to be made, and uh, uh, for sure, uh, the, the consideration of, um, let's say, relations with uh, other countries and the balances under which the, the global order is based uh, are also playing a role. So, um, for sure, uh, the consideration of this submission, this formal submission, can be done. And obviously, uh, the, um, as I was saying before, formal procedures can also be start. Probably they may start in, in the future or not in the near future. But at the same time, um, this is not just, uh, let's say, an automatic uh, process, because I see many, uh, many difficulties along the line. Olena, uh, you were talking before about a package of laws that have been passed in Ukraine to meet the criteria to join the EU. I want to ask you about that because there is a lot of concern by other member states if the criteria to join the EU has actually been met at what else needs to be done. One of the big concerns, of course, is battling corruption. So what essentially has been passed that you were referring to and how can Ukraine assure EU member states that they are indeed ready to meet the criteria. 
Well, first of all, disagree with the statement that Ukraine is so corrupt that it cannot be uh, a member of the EU. Ukraine, again, has been making significant progress on this path. And uh, uh, there are reasons to believe that the reports, the assessment of Ukraine's progress uh, on the uh, path of complying with seven uh, European Commission conditionalities will be positive, which means that uh, the, the progress we have been making is consistent with our uh, commitments and consistent with the with the requirements that uh, that Ukraine uh, has um, uh, committed to to comply with. Uh, we also believe that Ukraine is currently much more transparent than many European uh, member states, uh, there are, uh, the European countries that are members of the European Union. Uh, the package of the legislation that uh, was recently passed in the Ukrainian parliament uh, again brings Ukraine closer to the EU by uh, closing some of the uh, loopholes, corruption loopholes. It also uh, opens declaration, uh, as the declarations of officials of Ukraine uh, public, and this is uh, due to the civil society's pressure and uh, and the, the, the work of the civil society with the Ukrainian government that it became possible and it's a significant mm -hmm. achievement. Uh, the political party reporting is now public and uh, there's a lot, a lot of progress on the anti-oligarchization front. Uh, I can uh, I can say with confidence that uh, the oligarchs that have been influencing Ukraine's policymaking and economic mm. uh, relations until recently have been removed from these processes. And this is, this is the progress that we are very mm. proud of. Uh, Peter, um, from the kind of talk that we've been hearing from Brussels, it almost makes it sound like Ukraine's membership is a done deal. I want to ask you why that is the case. And I also want to ask you, what are EU member member leaders saying privately about all this? What's being discussed behind the scenes? Well, if you if you listen to uh, Charlie Michel, who's the uh, the chairman of the European Council of Member States, uh, he mentioned the date, I think it was 2030, uh, for Ukraine to, um, to enter. Uh, now, I mean, this is merely expressing hope. You know, there's no consensus whatsoever about a date. Um, so behind the scenes, um, countries are split. Uh, they, they uh, you know, they also have to reckon with electorates that are, let's say, less than enthusiastic about um, welcoming any country. Um, the Western Balkans uh, come to mind. Uh, so certainly a country that is currently at war uh, with, uh, with, with Russia. Uh, I mean, those are realities. Of course, um, it's good to see in the news that people have to step down over corruption scandals in Ukraine. I think typically that means that Something is done about it, so uh, let's be positive here. Uh, maybe the war, mostly war, brings out only negative things, but perhaps uh, in this case it may sort of send an electroshock through through the um, uh, Ukrainian system and, and uh, maybe uh, support those people that want uh, genuine reform. Uh, so uh, I think it's important to remain optimistic. Um, there's definitely great opportunities for Ukraine. Uh, but, um, yeah, as I mentioned, behind the scenes, diplomats are mostly working out on uh, giving uh, Ukraine some kind of comfort. Uh, I don't think we can expect any, uh, any hard commitments, any hard promises. Uh, likely is that the European Commission will be the most, um, let's say, friendly to Ukraine in this respect, but just like it's very friendly towards the Western Balkans. And it will be the member states that ultimately will uh, need to do the dirty mm -hmm. work and, and uh, say, um, despite everything, no, you're not uh, ready yet. Mm -hmm. 
Daniela, since uh, full EU membership is not an easy process to undertake, even under the best of circumstances, are there potentially any other options that have been discussed by EU members, uh, perhaps another type of roadmap, uh, something that could maybe lead to a gradual integration of Ukraine into the EU? Uh, well, if we are referring to something similar to the roadmap that, for example, that the Western Balkans have, uh, are living and are still living, like this uh, stabilization and association process, um, this may be a potential model, probably. Um, it's all, it is also true that uh, um, Ukraine has been included in the, in the European neighborhood policy in the past, which is uh, obviously produced less um, outcomes that were expected. And so that the sense was to gradually uh, build a um, stronger relationship with this country, with those countries. Uh, and so the, uh, the sense is that among these big communities of neighbors, only some countries were actually interested in uh, getting uh, closer to the EU. And Ukraine is um, for sure one of these. Uh, a roadmap can obviously be uh, considered. It, it can be. It, it is one of the, the, let's say, the political or diplomatic solutions that are usually considered because uh, it is gradual. It takes more time, and in the meantime, many issues can be also managed. Um, but I, frankly speaking, I don't think that Ukraine is interested into this kind of roadmap because, uh, uh, as Olena was saying, is is necessary to to be fast from the point of view of Ukraine. So uh, if a kind of this kind of solution will be offered, I'm not sure that it will be very much welcomed by uh, by uh, Ukrainian president. Probably uh, it is one of the possible solutions. It's probably uh, better than uh, um, the, the, the long starting process mm. of the enlargement, because it will take more and more time. But again, it's a sort of diplomatic uh, um, solution. Uh, which doesn't solve everything, can just manage uh, uh, things in the, in the short term. Olena, uh, let me ask you about what Daniela was saying. Um, do you think that Ukraine would accept another type of roadmap, a more gradual uh, easing into membership of EU? Because there have been Ukrainian officials who have said that they would not accept second tier as they see it, membership, that they want to be full members of the EU and they want that to happen as expeditiously as possible. Yes, I believe Ukraine will not accept this option. Uh, we really have no time to waste. Uh, EU membership is absolutely necessary as soon as possible for many reasons. First of all, it would uh, speed up and enhance Ukraine's post-war recovery. It will uh, assist the country in uh, dealing with the aftermath of Russian genocide and Russian uh, mass destruction of the country uh, that has been going on for one and a half year. Uh, EU membership would also uh, bring Ukraine closer to the cutting-edge technologies that would make recovery more cost-effective and speedy. It would give us access to investments that would again enhance the country's prospects uh, for uh, recovery and development. Uh, moreover, uh, in the conditions when uh, the U.S. government is in crisis, when uh, the support for Ukraine from the U.S. side is largely threatened, and we have uh, no clarity as to what will what will happen to uh, U.S. Uh, policy in terms of supporting Ukraine. Mm. It is very critical to have 
the European countries to have the EU take the lead in this process. We need Ukraine mm. to be as close to the European uh, allies as possible at the moment. But, but I want to... Uh, emphasize that Ukraine brings so much to the table that its its value, uh, the, the value of its membership in the EU is much greater than any complexity of the accession process. Um, mm. While the while Europe is struggling with uh, Eurosceptical moods within the EU, Ukraine uh, demonstrates 92 percent of, of support, uh, popular support for uh, the country's membership. And it's uh, much higher than in many of the European members, EU member states. Mm. Ukraine brings to the table, as you mentioned, competitive business. It brings to the table the experience of building a strong democratic infrastructure, democratic institutions in the time for during the war. All of this experience can and should be uh, utilized mm. by other EU member states. Uh, Daniela, you heard Olena there talking about what she says are the advantages that Ukraine brings to uh, the EU as a potential member. I want to ask you, from your vantage point, what leverage does Ukraine have when it comes to this process with the EU and obtaining membership down the line? Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, if we analyze things from a um, political uh, science perspective, let's say, obviously, so in terms of cost and benefits, uh, um, considerations. Obviously, uh, uh, Ukraine is 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 bringing a lot of things, uh, a lot lot of benefits uh, into on the table because for sure it's it's an irrelevant country uh, from a strategic point of view, from a security point of view. Uh, it's it, it will expand uh, the, the 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 border of the of the borders of uh, the European Union and uh, and of course, as you also mentioned, from a, a, the agricultural point of view and. And also other resources, Ukraine is also bringing many benefits to the EU. Uh, but again, uh, making a consideration of cost and benefits, also costs uh, should be considered. And uh, uh, from what I see and from what I uh, perceive um, looking at um, member states' performance in Europe, uh, um, there are these benefits, uh, they are perceived, but the, the, the sense of costs, costs is, uh, is, is too high uh, for many mm. uh, countries, in particular for some countries that are currently managing mm. the most important things. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm personally speaking, and obviously I'm expressing my own personal views, obviously, um, I uh, would be optimistic and say that uh, Ukraine is uh, closer to the EU than we can expect. But uh, what we see is the, the heavy burden of um, political political willingness of states and member states mm. to do something can be very, very challenging. Peter, uh, you heard um, Danielle there talk about uh, the costs of all this. And I wanted to ask you about that. If Ukraine were to join the EU, this would come at a massive cost. Just how much of a financial burden would that constitute for EU member states? Well, the, the Financial Times uh, ran some simulations, and um, uh, the, what the note notable note, the noteworthy thing there is that um, a lot of uh, European member states would turn from uh, net receivers into uh, net contributors to the European Union budget. Uh, so um, you can imagine that's not exactly uh, gonna play. Um, them as an argument in favor of uh, Ukraine. On top of that, Ukraine is a very big country, so it will have a lot of political weight 
um, in the context of uh, EU decision making. Now, um, at least the first thing can be solved uh, relatively easily. Um, at the moment, um, the uh, sort of the, the, the massive transfers that we see within the European Union are not working very well. Um, these agricultural transfers, uh, cohesion funds, there's a lot of corruption. Uh, it, it, hands up, it ends up in the, in the hands of um, uh, organized crime, of oligarchs. Uh, any economic study is actually quite negative about its effect. Uh, also, the same is true for, as I mentioned, agricultural subsidies. So maybe um, if Ukraine would enter, this would be a great opportunity to, to get rid of most of these transfers um, and to, uh, to, have the European, to have the European Union focus mm. on its core business, uh, which is the single market. And there, this is really a win-win for Ukraine and, um, and the current mem members of the EU, because mm. the EU market would increase a lot. Uh, Peter, uh, you were talking about some of the knock-on effects of all this for uh, member states, and I want to ask you more specifically about the issue of agriculture. Uh, if you bring in a huge agricultural powerhouse like Ukraine <laughs> to the EU, I want to ask how severe the consequences would be for farmers in other member states. Uh, would those farmers have to eventually accept much lower payments, uh, subsidies? I mean, how would that play out? Well, if you let me decide, uh, what I would do to cope with this it is, and in the first place, uh, scrap a lot of these payments. You know, farmers are perfectly capable of, um, you know, operating in a dynamic market without subsidies and top-down central planning. Uh, but then, secondly, if you no longer give farmers all that money, you have to give them tax relief. Uh, you have to to give them uh, regulatory relief, and this is probably also a good idea because at the moment we already. Uh, in the last uh, 10, 15 years, we heard a lot of com complaints from the agricultural sector in Europe that Ukraine had a lot of access already to the EU market, but that the EU rules were not always uh, well implemented there. Uh, now, of course, these EU regulations are very burdensome, very complicated for farming companies. Uh, so perhaps if Ukraine mm. would enter, this would also sort of um, serve as an opportunity to uh, deregulate the farming sector, uh, which again would be win-win both for um, mm. Ukrainian farmers and um, their um, uh, counterparts in the current uh, EU27. Oh, Elena, we only have about a minute and a half left. I, I want to ask you about just how critical EU membership is for Ukraine. I'm asking that because you've heard about the concerns that other EU member states about what it would do, whether it comes to uh, the financial burden, other issues at hand. Um, how much concern is there in Ukraine that all of those that all of that could really hamper th this proceeding? I would, first of all, like to come back on the costs uh, uh, question. First of all, uh, the West spends billions of tax euros and dollars on supporting Ukraine, while nearly 350 billion uh, euros are currently frozen and stored in the West uh, in terms of uh, Russian uh, assets that have been frozen in the first uh, days of the war. Uh, our partners, our European partners, should find a way, should develop legal mechanisms to channel these uh, Russian assets into supporting Ukraine. And this will release uh, significant resources that are necessary for ensuring Ukraine's membership. 
and Ukraine critically needs EU membership now. As I said, uh, it will it will uh, enhance the country's recovery. It will uh, speed up the reform process. It will uh, bring Ukraine closer to the uh, European market, to the technologies mm. and everything we need to to mm. build the country anew and to not just recover it, but to develop it into a strong uh, democratic state. All right. Well, we have run out of time, so we're going to have to leave the conversation there. Thanks so much to all of our guests, Olena Prokopenko, Peter Klepe, and Daniela Herrera. Coming up on The Take, U.S. Congressman Kevin McCarthy has been ousted as Speaker of the House of Representatives, a historic first. That's The Take on Al Jazeera. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.